I'm Evelyn and I'm a geoholic. All right, Geoholics, welcome back. Episode 145. 145. Um, you know what is amazing to me? I was I was going back and I was looking at all the music that we've had on every single episode. We've never had a Bon Jovi song. Really? In 145 episodes. That is shocking. It is shocking oh, to go. me. It is shocking to me. And one thing on that note that I want to mention is that if you don't know this already, on Spotify, there is a Geoholics playlist that as of today has... Eight hours and 39 minutes of music. Every song from every episode in chronological order is in that playlist. Really? Yes. That has got to be a pretty decent playlist. It's a great playlist. And it's it all really it's is. all get you jazzed up music, too. It's awesome. So. It's an amazing playlist, for sure. So uh, anybody listening, check out the Geoholics playlist on Spotify. Uh, real quick, couple house cleaning items. I want to make sure that we remind everybody about the Breast Cancer Awareness Month t-shirts mm-hmm. that are oh, yeah. officially yeah. released on all of our social media platforms. And over the course of the past week, we have actually added a men's version of the Breast Cancer Awareness t-shirt. By popular request. By popular request. And I know that we spent some time last week like just ooing and eyeing, eyeing over PETA because of all her help with this effort. But she is hmm. our guest co-host this evening, so we get to thank her in person. PETA, we just got to express our appreciation to you for all the help that you've provided for this effort. It never would have happened without you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You know this, but we obviously cannot do this, any of this show, any of this stuff without you. So huge part. Oh, gee, thanks guys. <laughs> huge part. But uh, yeah, seriously though, it's uh, this is awesome. I'm so excited about the support that we're already receiving and we will be mm. posting reminders on all our social media outlets over the course of the next few weeks so that people can get the shirts ordered in time to make sure they have them for the month of October. Yeah. I've, all right. I'm, People are probably already getting sick of seeing it on my social media because I push it out there every day. <laughs> oh, my God. It's for a good and I've cause. I've got my shirt so on today, right. yeah. so, you know. The, the reels you're posting are very entertaining, to say the least. Oh. No doubt about it. I'm here to entertain. <laughs> on that note, we have also ordered a bunch of new swag. Mm-hmm. So I haven't mentioned mentioned this in a while, but the Geoholics have a Patreon. So if you'd like to support the Geoholics for as little as $5 a month, if you just commit $5 a month to the Geoholics Patreon, you get an entire Geoholics fan pack. And that includes now a t-shirt, a hat, stickers, a pint glass, a coldie holder, a wristband, multiple wristbands. We got a gazillion of them. And what else? Poker chips. Poker chips. Poker chips. So, so as little as $5 a month, you get all of that. Mm-hmm. Where else can you find that? I think it's a smoking deal. <laughs> It's hard to believe, to be honest with you. Uh, we're losing money, Jesus. I mean, we are. We are losing money, but just because it's for the good of the cause. Exactly. Exactly. I think I just snorted. Did you hear that? <laughs> oh, yeah, I did. Let me update my notes here. Uh, Kent snorted. Um, so we just found out this week we are going to be at the Arizona ACEC Roads and Streets Conference oh, yeah. in a the couple big weeks. One. It's going to be amazing. I think there's like, what, 1,600 or so attendees? Yeah, minimum. 
it's a who's who and uh, Arizona transportation Mm -hmm. world. And anybody that does business in Arizona typically comes to this. So it's going to be some great exposure for the geoholics. Mm -hmm. Great promotion for the event and anybody that comes on and uh, is our guest. Yeah, we'll do a, uh, I don't know. I'm expecting a lot of attention and a lot of interviews and we'll stitch them together and it'll be a pretty, pretty amazing roadshow. It is going to be an absolute blast. So with that, let's move on here Um, real quick. Obviously, we have producer Sean with us. Hello, hello. Good to have you. We have Peta Cox with us. Peta, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me again. Excited for your input on this evening's show. Mm, great guest. <laughs> and and <laughs> we have we have another um, audience member. He's a little shy, so he doesn't want to talk. But Mr. Faber is in studio this evening. Mr. Yes, Faber, yes, this say is hello. Uh, this say is hello. This producer Faber's Good father. Evening. Good evening. So, did you ever think that your son was gonna impact the world as a result of being on a podcast? No, and, and it's a great occasion to check something off my bucket list here to see such professionals <laughs> and such a professional job here. So I, I appreciate you all having me here. I love it. Another fooled listener. Yes, and if you can't tell based on the y'all, my father flew in from North Carolina, so I'm happy that they're here. It's uh, going to be a good week. Yep, good to meet you, sir. Uh, And He's going to be our, our future financial advisor, right? Yes, yes. Accountant. Yes. Accountant uh, honor, extraordinary. Honorary board member. Yes. <laughs> free accounting advice. <laughs> oh, it's badly needed. All right, Sean, <laughs> tell us about that opening number. Uh, of course, it's Bon Jovi. You give love a bad name. Uh, we all know this. Bon Jovi is an American rock band formed in 1983 in Saraville, New Jersey. It consists of singer John Bon Jovi, keyboardist David Byron, drummer Tico Torres, guitarist Phil X, and bassist Hugh McDonald. The band has been credited with bridging the gap between heavy metal and pop with style and ease. That is a quote. Bon Jovi has sold more than 120 million records worldwide, making them one of the best-selling American rock bands. Bon Jovi was inducted into the UK Music Hall of Fame in 2006 and into the US Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2018. I don't know why that took that long, but... Uh, yeah, that's interesting to me. A couple observations. First of all, I think Metallica, if I remember right from last week, was 130 million records. Yeah, yeah. So pretty but, close I mean, there. But the you got to look at... Metallica's put out, what, 15, 12 or something albums? I can't mm-hmm. remember from... But Bon Jovi did not last that long. You know, it was yeah. less than 10 albums. You know, yep. they kind of went their own way. They kind of brought it back. You know, John Bon Jovi did the whole acting thing, like... Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a smaller content and more volume, as far as I can do tell. You think, John, do you think Bon Jovi is his real name? It's like if you're born with that name, you're just a rock star. Yeah, I, I don't know about. I that. don't know. I'd have to do some. In, I'd have to do some research on that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But <laughs> regardless, how did they get in the UK Music Hall of Fame prior to getting in the US Hall of Fame? That's weird. 2006 versus 2018. Yeah, I don't know. Don't know how that happens. Yeah, mm, lower standards in the UK. I didn't want to go there, but <laughs> oh, <I> mean, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on. Uh, we, of course, are recording from the Diamondback Lancer Bank studio. Great to be here, of course. And I know I mention it all the time, but um, Trent Keenan and his team do an amazing job on social media. And one of the things he started doing recently that I think is really, really cool is for Diamondback Lancer Bank, um, he does like a weekly recap, like he video, somebody is videoing like all those guys out in the field and stuff like that. And then at the end of the week, he does like a recap of all the projects they worked on and stuff like that. So really cool stuff he's doing. So if you're not following him, make sure you check out Diamondback Lancer Bank and of course, check out Mentoring Mondays and Wisdom Wednesdays. Trent's got a lot of stuff going on. Oh yeah. Um, please support him. 
Um, all right. Are you ready for this one? Uh, First of all, you're going to put your tail between your legs a little bit. I am. Time for producer Sean's degenerate lock of the week. Yes. The lock of the week last week. uh, I was very confident in the Denver Broncos and the new quarterback and it surprisingly did not work out. What are you going to do? They can't win them all. They can't win them all. Uh, so, so I was, I was hopeful for a uh, two and O start, but Okay. Uh, moving on to this week's lock of the week. Uh, again, the Monday night game, Vikings at the Philadelphia Eagles. I love the Vikings. They're getting a point and a half. I thought mm. they looked great against Green Bay. I thought Philly scored some points, but they played Detroit. So I think you're going to see Justin Jefferson doing that little dance thing with the eyes and the things. <laughs> He's going to do that like three or four times. I think, you know, take your point and a half. I know they're on the road, but I, I believe in the Vikings Take them. That's the lock. I don't disagree, unfortunately, because being the fact that my Chicago Bears are in the same division as the Vikings, Bears started out 1-0, and surprisingly. Sure. Um, kind of excited. You know, kind of a gift I mean, in some ways. it doesn't take much for you to get excited about the Bears. So. Not, not at this point. Nope. Not, not, not at all. Um, so it's good. It's a good confidence builder for my Bears. But as far as your pick goes, I'm on board. All right. All right, let's move on. Uh, This week's the Liquid Death's Weekly Words of Wisdom. Um, Since our guest this evening and, of course, PETA, both residing in Australia, this is pretty funny. Hopefully they find it funny. If not, I'm in trouble. But here's the quote. Every country is like a particular type of person. America is like a belligerent adolescent boy. Canada is like an intelligent 35-year-old woman. Australia is like Jack Nicholson. It comes right up to you and laughs very hard in your face in a highly threatening and engaging manner. <laughs> I love that. English author <laughs> Douglas Adams. And now, you know what? Our, our Australian uh, uh, guest on here this evening can either confirm or deny that, but we'll, we'll get to that here in just a second mm-hmm. after we introduce our guest. So. Before we get to our guests this evening, here is this week's Bad Elf Minute. Hello, Geoholics, and welcome to Bad Elf's Point of Beginning, a segment specially crafted for the consumption of geospatial news, history, and technology. We hope you enjoy the content and perhaps even learn something. My name is Dr. Nick Smolovsky, I'm a geoholic, and I'm here to be your geospatial guide. For this week's news, I want to discuss an interesting corporate acquisition I ran across while surfing the internet. On September 1st, news broke that the famous 4D digital reality capture company Faro purchased a competitive market-leading 3D laser company called Geoslam. The merging of these two LiDAR industry leaders brings together Faro's strong market penetration and device adoption with innovative mobile scanning solutions. Furthermore, GeoSlam boasts proprietary SLAM, or Simultaneous Localization and Mapping software, to help create vast 3D models for use in various digital twin applications. Details on the acquisition mention that GeoSlam reported roughly $16.6 million in revenue during the 2022 fiscal year ending March 31st. The agreement purchase price was set to over $25.2 million with an additional 495,562 shares of Faro stock going to GeoSlam shareholders. Not small numbers in the slightest. Well, whether doing tripod mounted laser scanning or mobile handheld 3D mapping, 
this technological combination of two powerhouse organizations might be a winning solution for you. If you have any questions or comments about today's POB segment, please reach out to me via LinkedIn or through the Geoholics channels. And that does it for us at B2 Studios in sunny Texas. Live long and prosper, my friends. Uh, our guest this evening is Dr. Karen Joyce. A little bit about uh, Dr. Joyce. Born in East Melbourne, grew up in, I'll probably butcher this, Canberra, I'm hoping. She attended University of Queensland. For fun, she enjoys cycling, running, reading, and of course, going to the beach. We don't have many beaches here in Arizona, unfortunately, so I'm very jealous. She holds many positions, including Associate Professor of Remote Sensing at James Cook University. She's a co-founder and tech lead at GeoNator and co-founder, education director at SheMaps. And we're going to talk about all this. There's so much going on with her that I'm uh, I'm really, really intrigued by all this. Her career highlights include, to, and to date, include working at NASA and traveling uh, and visiting many coral reefs around the world, including Marshall Islands, Hawaii, and Belize. Our own producer, Sean, is off to Hawaii here in a couple days. Oh, yeah. Again, very jealous. Karen is passionate about earth observation, science communication, the environment, seeing more women and people of color in leadership roles, and good food. Oh, yeah. Excited to have this conversation. Dr. Joyce, welcome to the Geoholics. Thanks so much for being here. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, super excited about this. Um, so usually we do the Trimble Pro Point icebreaker, but we're going to do something a little bit different this evening. It's going to be a would you rather question okay oh and boy. since you and Peter are both from australia um this is going to apply to both of you sean you and i are not going to answer these because we don't know what the hell this stuff is okay so dr joyce i'm gonna let I'm, you go i'm worried, I'm worried. <laughs> i think <laughs> you should be <laughs> i'm gonna let dr joyce i'm gonna let dr joyce go first on every one of these so the first one is this there's only four so this shouldn't take too long oh, this is stuff that my 11 year old son does yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes I, I am yes. like a five Sim similar maturity level i'm, I'm guessing <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, here we go. So the first one, would you rather eat only Vegemite or drink only Milo for the rest of your life? Oh, Vegemite. <laughs> I hate Milo. Ugh. I don't even know what, it, yeah. I don't know what either of these are. Uh, what? PETA, what would you rather no do? Oh, this is a really hard one because I love both. No I way. think I'll get more sustenance out of Milo. What is it? What <laughs> is Milo? I love Vegemite too. It's a chocolate drink. Oh, maybe it's Ooh, like uh, Yahoo. I'll have to bring. I will have to bring some not, over for you. Not Yahoo, Yoohoo, Yoohoo, Yahoo. It doesn't dissolve properly. Like you, it's powder. No, you could. That's because you milk, eat it. Oh, it's gross. Oh, it's so disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right, we're off to a rolling start here. Uh, the next one: Would you rather? Eat only Tim Tams or only bullets for the rest of your life. Oh, that's so easy. Tim Tams. Oh. I'll do that any day. I need to Yahoo and I'm a search girl. what a Tim Tam is. <laughs> what, what, what's your answer, Peter? Bullets. <laughs> Dark awesome. chocolate bullets. All right. Uh, <laughs> would you rather have a kangaroo or a koala as a pet? <laughs> that's a good one. That's a tough one because kangaroos can, they can chase you and they're kind of scary. <laughs> um, but koalas like make really grunting sounds mm. <laughs> and they're not particularly pleasant to me. They're, they're, they're not sweet and cuddly like they look? <laughs> no, 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 they're clawy. Not like what you think. <laughs> no. 
I think I, I think I'd maybe go with a koala. Koala. How about you, Peter? Yeah, I'd go koala. But have you been speaking to Mark Taylor lately? <laughs> No. That sounds like one of his questions. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? It yeah. really does. does yeah. All right. Last but not least, would you rather spend the day with tennis pro Nick Kyrgios or F1 driver <laughs> Daniel Ricciardo? No. No. <laughs> what she say? Neither. No. <laughs> Wouldn't do it. Just a hard pass on both. No. No, thanks. How about you, Peter? <laughs> Uh, I'd take Daniel any day. Yeah, yeah. Every day, any day. <laughs> Nick Kyrgios, like, sure. I want to like the guy. You know, he keeps tennis entertaining and exciting mm. and on the edge of your seat. But, but at the end you, of every match, I'm see, like, yeah, you it, see he's an idiot. Yeah, it's just, he yells at his at the people. And, mm-hmm. the, oh, it's just, I know. I, I It's exciting and you want to like the guy, but, man, he makes it so hard. Yeah, he really does, yeah. unfortunately. All right, let's get to the good stuff. Karen, um... Wow, you got a lot going on. Where does your love for mapping stem from? Uh, it's a really good question. I think I'd, I'd probably take it back to realizing at some point in my undergraduate degree, I, I didn't really know what I was what I was going to do when I was at university or when I left uni or anything. But I, I knew that I liked being outside and going camping and stuff. And the geography course at first year uni had a field trip. And I went, yeah, okay, right, I'll do that. <laughs> and I'd, like, I'd never done any any mapping outside. Or maybe orienteering when I was a kid, but not yeah. much else. Uh, so I never took geography at school. And then when I started work, started studying geography at uni, I realized that I could actually get paid to go scuba diving and snorkeling on the Great Barrier wow. Reef and go camping in beautiful national parks all under the guise of this mapping thing. And, yeah, I just kind of stuck in it. And, it, yeah, that's that's where it comes from, just the, the ability to look at, at beautiful things. I, I think maps, but in particular satellite imagery, is just absolutely stunning. Mm. So look at things that I think is art and tie that with being outside in the environment is it's it's just an awesome way to get paid (laughs) yeah for sure that's a great answer and we're going to dig into you know every aspect of that a little bit more i'm glad you mentioned the fact of you know the uh you know satellite imaging and that type thing and so one thing i would like to do and this is going to benefit myself as well is i would love to hear your definition of remote sensing it's a top it's you know it, it's a term that's brought up a lot and i don't know that everybody understands what remote sensing is in, in your mind what, what exactly is it yes it's a good question and i actually think that i've seen a bit of a shift over the past couple of years to be more defined in using the words earth observation instead of remote sensing or maybe as well as because i think it's a little bit more accessible to everybody knows what earth is and we know what observing is so that makes it a bit more accessible to people who are not techo but remote sensing i tend to just break down into the two words so remote is to be far away from something and sensing is to get information about it so it's yeah put the two together and we're getting information about something that we're not touching so that might be imaging, it might be earth observation, but it could just as easily be looking at an MRI or an ultrasound or, yeah, lots and lots of different ways that we can think about that. Yeah, and what's really interesting about that is the observation aspect of it because observation can come in so many different forms, correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And most of the work that I do in terms of observation is with imaging. So it is looking at individual pictures or, or raster layers of, of data as opposed to 
observing through our other senses. So you could say that we observe through touch in a way, some through sight, smell, sound as well. But I, I'm really on the uh, the imaging side of things. Well, it's just interesting when you, you, you describe remote sensing and I always think of it as, oh yeah, there's a, a sensor out there and it has some bit of information, you know, you're just receiving that one little data mm-hmm. point and it sounds like there's a whole lot more to it than just, than just that, like just getting that one data point from someplace that you're not at. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think, I guess it's anything that we do in the geo space, right? That an output can look really, really simple and that's the the challenge is making something look simple, but there's actually so much more sitting in behind it. That's the technology that might be hardware, software, but the people and the brains that go into making something really simple in the as an as an end state. Mm. Yeah, and the, like the sensing part of it, it's it's so multi-dimensional. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like you think 3D. This is not 3D. This is like 12D. I mean, it's mm. it, it's so in depth that what's happening right now. Yeah, or if you want to go to hyperspectral imagery, it's not 12D. We tend to refer to it as ND or N-dimensional. Mm. What NN is, you know, it could be hundreds as well. Right. And oh, yeah. so you, you get the, the the XY, you get Z for elevation, you might get time, but then you get all the different layers based on different wavelengths of light that we're sensing as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, 3D is, oh, it's that's easy. <laughs> Well, that, isn't that interesting? Like 3D is nothing now. Right. It's like, mm. it's expected. That is the yes. bare minimum that you can that you yeah. can get from data right now yeah. is just, is, is 3D and three points. Yeah. So crazy. So crazy. Um, I'm going to go off tangent here just a little bit, but uh, this makes me think about the metaverse, of course, because that's all I think about anymore <laughs> is the metaverse. Are, are, are you involved with the metaverse at all as far as, you know, this technology goes or am I completely off track here? Yeah, it's not real. I mean, I guess it's all of our space in some way, shape, or form. But yeah, not really something that I know intimately. Sure. To be honest. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that's Peter. Peter's the metaverse. We're not. Expert. We're not all obsessed as you are, Kent, with the metaverse at the moment. <laughs> it's just unexplored terrain. It's an un- unexplored, not unexplored, but it's minimally uncharted. Explored. Uncharted. Uncharted. Yes. Yeah. I want to be like an original mm. metaverse surveyor. That's my goal right now. Yeah, I'm telling you, somebody's got to mm-hmm. set zero 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 in the metaverse. It can I easily am, be you. I am your zero 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 guy. Uh, I yes. can set that point uh, on many levels. <laughs> I, know I put metaverse in the same category as cryptocurrency. I know, I know it's there somewhere. Whatever. Yeah, but, you know, it's true. I'm not yeah, part of that. It's true. <laughs> All right. So your current role, um, you've been there for a bit. What What is most rewarding about what you're doing right now? At the university. Uh, at, at James Cooney. Yeah. What are there, I guess there's two aspects that I really like. So I'm, I'm a standard academic at the, at the university. So what that means is that 40% of my role is, is research, 40% is teaching, and then 20% is engagement and service and administration, that sort of stuff. So th- there's actually aspects of all three of those things that I think would be my favorite part. So I, I feel just incredibly privileged that in my role as a researcher, I get to go to so many incredible places, mostly in coral reef ecosystems where I work. But these are places where people pay 
thousands and thousands of dollars to go to these places on holidays or maybe they're not even able to because they're not holiday destinations they're completely off limits and i get paid to go there to do my research and mm. that's just I, every time i'm out on the rave i yeah i think it's just the most amazing thing and i feel really privileged to be able to do that so that's my favorite part on the on the research side of things and just having the having the flexibility to pursue questions that i'm interested in for research purposes i love that and then on the teaching side i i really love it when when students just get it you know maybe they take <sighs> weeks maybe maybe they get it right away or maybe it takes weeks and that when you actually see the penny drop is it's great i get i get a kick out of of that and you know that you've done mm. your job right as yeah really enjoy that part. that light bulb moment yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely <laughs> and you know for some it's a real struggle to get to that point but they yeah. persevere and you you know that they will get there if if they stick with it mm. and being able to support them to do that and and seeing it when it clicks for them and they're like oh my wow i i get this and actually i really like maps <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And the fact that that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for you doing it, mm. you know, like without, without your input and you getting them there, who knows where it would have gone, but they would have yeah. gotten to that point without you. Well, I'm sure that I'm sure they still can. I don't, I don't think that it's, it's all about me. As, oh as no, absolutely. Me it is. is yeah. Today, but no, I mean, there's, there's obviously many, many pathways that people take but it's i can play a small part in them getting to that point and, and sticking there as well because that's often really hard when people get started in in gis right mm -hmm. it's a it's a steep learning curve right so karen the courses that you're teaching are they like um environmental science or what what sort of things yeah so i teach I teach three subjects. So I teach the introductory GIS class and that mm -hmm. that's a second year subject at, at James Cook Uni. And then it's also a postgraduate. So you might come across it if you're doing a master's, it might be a master's in marine biology or mm. master's of environmental <coughs> science, whatever. So that's the intro. And then we have an advanced GIS class as well that I teach. And then I also teach the remote sensing class. Mm. And so all of those are both at the undergraduate and postgraduate level. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned a project that you've worked on or are currently working on as it pertains to, to reefs, mapping reefs. Um, talk a little bit more about that. That sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, so I've been I've been involved in reef mapping since the late nineties and that's kind of, that's kind of where I started really getting into this field. What's when I realized I, I actually went through the, the University of Queensland subject portfolio as an undergraduate student and picked every subject that I could that went to one of the field stations on the reef. And that's how I built my built my degree. And from that time, so, you know, I guess we're coming on close to 25 years now, I've always had the single question of trying to figure out how much live coral do we have on the Great Barrier Reef? Mm. Because actually we don't know the answer to that, which Interesting. some people That's are really, really surprised cool. that we don't know the answer. Yeah. Yeah. But so the Great Barrier Reef is actually made up of 3,000 individual reefs. Wow. And how, I, obviously I've heard of it before, but I haven't like done any research. How, I know it's massive. Like what is the span of the Great Barrier Reef? Yeah. So it goes for about two and a half thousand kilometers, which miles, what are we? That's like about a thousand miles. Wow. Yeah. 
Um, so actually I haven't thought about what the size is in terms of the US, but in Australia, it's about the size of Victoria plus Tasmania, which is two of our states. Um, it's also about the size of Italy. So it's the size it's, it's of the really country of Italy. Area. Yeah. Yeah. So then maybe that's like similar to this, like maybe not quite the size of California, but maybe somewhere in that space, wow. like it's, it's huge. Right. And so you might think, Oh, why don't we know how much coral is on the great barrier reef? Well, do you know what every single tree looks like in California? No. Right. So yeah. well, think actually, about it. Not there, surprising. Yeah. There's so yeah. much unexplored when it comes to the oceans. It's unbelievable. Really is. Yeah, really yeah. Is. yeah. It's so inaccessible. It's so hard to get to. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and like I can do a field trip. Maybe we're in, a, in the field for a week and we might be lucky to see 10 different reefs. And that's mm -hmm. really just not scratching the surface of it. So mm -hmm. it's a really yeah. big question. And it's and it's always changing as well. So yeah, yeah. I so, was really lucky enough to spend some time with Karen in the water up in Queensland. Oh, wow. Uh, that's awesome. That? June. June, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and yeah, looking, going snorkeling in the Great Barrier Reef and having someone who knows so much about it and being able to tell us um, the different things, you know, you, we were looking at coral and going, oh, it's not very colourful. Yep. And you're thinking coral's all colourful. And then, Karen, do you want to explain why we shouldn't have that colourful sort of coral? Yeah, that's a really, really good point, Peter. And mm. it, it is like a, a lot of the things that you, you see beautiful photography of really, really bright coral. But so coral is an animal plus uh, plus a plant put together, and the animal is but has a has a limestone skeleton basically. And then the the color that we see on the reef is based is the the little <coughs> plant that lives inside oh, wow. the animal skeleton. So it's sort of the tissue, and that um, that photosynthesizes so it provides a source of food for the for the yeah. animal and yeah so we do see lots of different colors but what happens is if the if the water temperature gets too high then the, the plant pigments that are producing food for the animal uh, the animal starts to think it's toxic and so it spits out the plant so effectively it starves but before it does that it it tends to go this really really bright fluorescent color and so the point in time where the reef is the the brightest and the most colourful is usually just before it bleaches. And I guess a lot of people have heard a little bit about the Great Barrier Reef and bleaching, and that's where it loses mm -hmm. all its tissue and you just see the skeleton of the animal that's left behind. Oh, wow. So it's most colourful just before it's about to hit that that really, really unhealthy phase. Mm. Yeah. Now I feel bad for liking it. <laughs> no, no, so it is really like, colorful. Oh, wow, it's really it's colorful. It's like, colorful. Oh, it shouldn't be, but no, 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 not, not necessarily. So it is, it is definitely colorful as it is, but there's plenty of plenty of coral that's perfectly healthy when it's a brownish color. Okay. So it's mm. it's just that when it goes this full on fluorescent, it's, and you don't see that often, right? So it, and it it happens really really short space of time. Gotcha, gotcha. Did you guys see any uh, sea cucumbers when you were down there? <laughs> Peter, did you she like made us, cucumbers? She she made us count them. <laughs> what really? Yes. Is there yes. A, is there a passion there? <laughs> it's interesting. So I, you can see sea cucumbers on a on a lot of different reefs, right? And they're they're important for the reef ecosystem because they they chew through all the sediment and all the sand, and they they poo out clean sand basically. So they're a really good <laughs> ecosystem service. Uh, they're also a really important fishery in many parts of Asia. And I realized that I could actually see sea cucumbers in my 
drone imagery that I was, I was taking over the reef. Wow. And so I could, so we can see this, we can see the cucumbers and we can count them, which is counting and understanding where they are and how many they are is really important for fisheries. Oh, sure yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> wow. And do you get into um, some of the, like, how do you, like, can it automatically count? It kind of, we, we, yeah. we've had some, like, you know, with some good imagery, you can actually you know, take measurements and do some AI and count things yeah. just based on the pictures. Is that something you can get in here? And I know it sounds crazy, yeah. but count the poo from the from the sea cucumbers and yeah. and then yeah. convert that it's into something. That's not crazy. We've done, we've done this. No, no, we've done this. So it starts by <laughs> getting all of your students to digitize where the sea cucumbers are uh, and count them. There's thousands of them, right? In the in drone imagery, but we also use underwater drones as well for that. And then wow. so you count the sea cucumbers come back in to the that drone one. images. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you count the cukes, and then you you weigh the amount of poo that one cuke does. And so we've done this as well. So you know the amount of poo from one cucumber, then you count the cucumbers with drone data, and then you look at the habitat that the cucumbers are in, and so you can scale that to satellite data. And then you can estimate the amount of poo on the reef. And we, we did that for one reef in the Great Barrier Reef and worked out that just on one single reef, remember there's 3,000 of them, one single reef, it, it worked out to be about the same mass of poo as five Eiffel Towers. <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> yeah. one, the one thing I have to say is, I mean, I had no expectations for this for this show ever, this podcast in general. But I never in my life thought that we would be talking about sea, cum- sea cucumber poo. And not only that, the the yeah. sheer volume of sea cucumber poo, cu- cucumber poo, and how like how uh, how other people rely on it. Like it, it's not just a data point oh, that man. you can just bring up in a show, but like so people awesome. actually can Yay. use that and, and see where it's more dense and or more prevalent and make their, dis- I mean, that's crazy. So yeah. Cool. It, it's, it's, it's a massive thing. And, and incidentally that, that work has led to my, my single biggest funding project is counting sea cucumbers across the entire Great Barrier Reef. <laughs> that wow. is so cool. The, the most go. amount of money. <laughs> Unbelievable. And, that is awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> and so yeah, awesome. you said earlier, you know, can you use AI? And yeah, you can. So when we've, st- we've started to move into that space because, yeah, when you're looking at thousands of them and wanting to be able to get the, the fishers to be able to do some of these techniques or capture the data as well. And because there there's issues with poaching sea cucumbers as well. So Oh um, yeah. We'll have boats boats come in from various parts of Asia and and they take take sea cucumbers and in Mexico here's another fun fact for you. In Mexico not only do they take the sea cucumbers for the fishery but they stuff them with drugs so they what? get the fishery as well as the drug cartels. Oh they my go. gosh. <laughs> Never even thought you about learn that. learn something new every Unbelievable. day. Unbelievable. <laughs> wow, wow. Hello, Geoholics. I'd like to take a second to thank our good friend Trent Keenan and the folks at Diamondback Land Surveying. Diamondback Land Surveying LLC provides complete surveying, mapping, and construction staking solutions for residential, commercial, and public work projects. DBLS is a firm made up of highly skilled professional land surveyors with over 200 years of experience in the public land survey system and construction surveying. Their survey teams take great pride in being professionals in all aspects of their work and emphasize on-time service that maintains an excellent reputation in the construction and development communities by consistently providing top-notch to their clients. 
www.diamondbacklandsurveying.com. They are dedicated to building and maintaining an excellent reputation. All right, we got a bunch more things we want to get to with you. So let's talk about GeoNator a little bit. That's another thing, another project that you're super passionate about. Tell us about it and kind of its mission and purpose. Yeah, for sure. And I can link that to the cucumbers. Exactly. Yep. (laughs) So. I've, I've worked with drones for, I guess, since about 2013, so nearly 10 years now. And I I got into them mostly because I was working in regional areas of Australia where it's just way too expensive to get traditional aerial survey um, out into the ecosystems where we were working. And that's where I went over and spent some time at NASA to look at how they were using drones in their, in their wildfire monitoring in California. And one of the things that I realized as I was capturing all the data that I, I needed a place to put it, but I also, I was also having lots of people ask me if I could share my data with them, which I really, really love doing. I always think that data should have a purpose beyond that for which it was originally captured. It's just a pain. Like if, if someone would say to me, hey, can I get your data of this particular location? I'm like, oh God, I've got like folders of that everywhere. And I have to go through and search for it. And then it goes, is this the one you want? They're like, oh, do you have anything a little bit more to the east? And, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I thought, well, if I could at least have a platform where I can at least put my own data up there and that that would make it easy for, for me to selfishly share my own data. Um, but maybe that's something that other people want to do as well. And tied in with that is working with a lot of people that want to use drones, but they don't want to have to deal with the all the software and the hardware and the licensing and the processing and the expertise to be able to get it to a point that you can use the data. So I sort of combine the idea of a place where I could host and share my data with something that had a processing workflow for people to contribute to as well. And so we launched GeoNadia about 18 months ago now. And basically it's a, it's a platform that people can go to and upload their drone data. And that allow when they upload their data, we, we store and host that for them for free. And in return, we also provide them with an author mosaic. So we do the basic processing and then we provide it to other people to use as well so you can jump on the platform we actually hit a thousand users today so we're oh, well. happy just to get that oh. up. Exactly that, that was going to be my question how many <laughs> how many people actually use it like have you had because i remember you putting something up on linkedin ages ago about you know sharing data and all that kind of stuff so yeah and is it yeah. all around all around the world or we're just in Australia at the moment? Yeah, no, it is around the world. So we've got people from awesome. over 40 countries at the moment and we've got mm-hmm. wow. ne- nearly 300,000 images up there. So you wow. can go onto the platform. and So it's just geonadia.com and you can go on the platform and have a look at data from all around the world or you can contribute your own data as well. It's, yeah, it's pretty exciting to see that mm. there's other people that, I've realized that this is a challenge in what they're doing day to day as well and they'd like to contribute and basically my idea is that together we can we can basically build something that's kind of like google earth but an order of magnitude higher mm-hmm. detail than what google mm-hmm. earth is getting with satellite data if everybody pitches in and we all pull our stuff together which is pretty cool oh yeah sharing sharing i love it sharing is caring yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But but I love the concept of, you know, you get the just Google Earth is just satellite data. If everybody pulled all that drone data and drone footage together, you could piece together much more high density, better yeah. stuff. Like that's amazing. Right, right. 
Yeah, you have. I mean, there's a number of satellites that contribute to what we see on Google Earth, but there are hundreds of thousands of people who fly drones. Mm-hmm. So you you redistribute that that way of data capture, mm-hmm. and it actually can be really, really powerful. Mm. Yeah, I checked out the website. It's pretty amazing because, like you said, I mean, I was like, of course, looking like in the states in Arizona, and there are some uploads to the site from the Tucson area. Nothing I saw in the Phoenix area, but the Tucson area had some uh, imagery that was uploaded. It was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. There's some little pockets where people have heard about us, and yeah, so some areas are a little bit Mm -hmm. denser than others, and. Yeah, hopefully within the coming years that we can we can start filling that in. I, I guess at the moment it's a little bit like Swiss cheese. And there's lots yeah. of holes in it. Yeah. So yeah, we'd like to fill in a lot more and 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 really start to build that global map. Yeah, yeah, so cool, so cool. It kind of goes along with I, I believe you wrote the article was titled "Drone Pilots Reinvent Themselves as Mother Earth's Paparazzi," and yeah. such a fitting title. And it goes along exactly with what you're talking about. Yeah, it is. And and so back to the sea cucumbers as well, because we've been able to use it to say, hey, we can see sea cucumbers in drone imagery. Well, how about you capture data wherever it is that you live as well, maybe like near a coast, <laughs> and yeah. see if you can see sea cucumbers. So we actually have people that jumped on board and then are looking for sea cucumbers in their local areas as well. So we can use it as a bit of a, a crowdsourcing citizen science engagement thing, which is quite fun. You know, Sean, I was thinking you might have some sea cucumbers growing in your garage after it flooded this past week. Oh, I got a lot of things growing in that garage. (laughs) Man, we're only unearthing them as we speak. Oh, man. Uh, Is it from drone? (laughs) So funny. So funny. All right. So something else you're passionate about is uh, SheMaps. Super Mm -hmm. cool movement that you got going there. Talk about that. Yeah, so SheMaps we started back in, I guess it was the end of 2016, and it's it's another organization. It's a, it's a certified social enterprise here in Australia, and it started because back it was back in 2016. It was National Science Week here in Australia, mm-hmm. and the theme for the theme for the week that year was. Uh, was drones and a lot of the local schools to where they've knew that I worked with drones. So a number of schools asked me to come out and have a chat with them about what I do and stuff. And it was really interesting to go and see the the primary schools or the elementary schools, you know, kids under about 12 years old. And the kids are always really, really excited to see the drones and ask loads and loads of questions. And then when I went to my local high school, I was just astounded that there were no girls that came to my talk. Wow. And I said to the teacher, I was like, oh, you know, so where are the girls? And he, and he said, oh, girls aren't interested in this type of stuff. I was like, what do you mean? I'm a girl. <laughs> I mean, I'm not interested in this. What are you talking about? Um, and so I then started doing a bit more digging and, and talking to other colleagues. And they told me that they sort of had the same experience in the maths and physics space as well, that girls didn't come to any of the engagement activities. And so I went back to the school and I said, oh, what do you think? Like if I ran something and I said it was for girls only mm. and they're like, okay, yeah, we can try it. And so I applied for some funding and I was really fortunate to get some advanced Queensland funding, which is a, a statewide initiative here in Australia. And the idea was to go and run a drone day 
at my local high school. I didn't know exactly what that was. I had a bit of a plan, but wasn't sure. So I went to the school. I said, yep, cool. We've got some funding. Let's do this. And they said, okay, we'll put out an expression of interest. And I thought if I could get 20 girls, yeah. I can do something for a day. And I had a bit of a plan in my mind. And they came back to me the next day and said, oh, so we've got 60 so far. And then we started wow. making a waiting list. What do you think? Like, <laughs> How oh, awesome is that? that is awesome. <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was all I thought. I was like, oh, my God, I can't do this. And and I, th- I thought at the time, well, I, you know, I've got options. I can um, I can either say no to half the kids, which, you know, was not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I could move the venue to somewhere that was larger and that wasn't an option either. And, and then I could cut content that I had created and conceptualized for this or I could do things faster. So I could do it twice in the day. So what that transpired was the program that I had planned to be a full day thing became a two and a half hour program that I ran twice. So I managed to get all the kids through. And then I had schools from all over Australia starting to call me and ask if I would come and do that for their school. And they were asking that school, was it worth it? Should we get this as well? And it just, it was hectic and we're out of control. And so, yeah, we set it up and, um, and we can, we continue to run that same program around Australia and in 15 different countries at the moment. So we have, we train people to run the program and then they use that as part of their, maybe their university, they might use it as their engagement and outreach program or their, a, a, a local, uh, local community organization that will run programs for their local area as well. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. We, grown a lot since then but it's still there's the same core is really sure. promoting geospatial and drones and really uplifting women and girls to be able to be involved as well so interesting um is there a target age group for for uh, she maps yeah so most mostly we work with grade five so that's what about 10 years old 10 mm-hmm. through 10 through 14 is probably our, our largest but we have we have programs from the the youngest kids so prep kindergarten mm-hmm. whatever five-year-old kid all the way through to the end of high school as well so we have a children's book that we use to engage the youngest children and then we have programs that go more into the drone mapping and coding and, and mm. analytics and that sort of thing for the the higher end high school kids as well. So yeah. it's, it is cross across the whole curriculum for all years, but our, our main focus is sort of in those middle years. Sure. Yeah. I, I think it's a I genius like, idea. Um, and, and Peter, I think, I think you mm. will have some input on this, but when I think about it, you know, some people may provide some criticism, like it's only for girls, you know, type thing. But I think that girls are more hesitant to attend something that is male dominated to begin with Whereas if you offer it to them specifically, more girls would be willing to get involved with it. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like if you just open it up, you know, obviously, you know, serving and mapping is typically, you know, is basically a male dominated um, Mm -hmm. profession, but doing something like what you're doing, I think opens the doors and allows girls to feel more comfortable going outside their comfort zone. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So there's, yeah, absolutely. And we get this question all the time and, and, there's a couple of ways to look at it. And first is that are, are we excluding people? And actually we're, we're not excluding at all. We're including people that have been excluded. Yep. So that's the first part. But we, we also run programs with boys. Sure. But it, we we, uh, we really focus on profiling a lot of women and mm-hmm. really making visible women in the industry. And 
I guess the the other thing that we really find is, and and the research shows this as well, is that in a if you're in a minority space, so say women in geospatial surveying in that area which we are, is you can actually target things to towards women, but men and boys will still think that that's okay that they can they they're enabled to do that as well because they see that as an area that they've already been involved in. And it's the same sort of within IT areas. So you can you can profile women and boys don't feel excluded. But if you went the other way around yep. and you profile the more dominant uh, person type, let's say, and it might be gender, it might be racial, whatever, sure. that, um, that you do exclude minorities. So the, the key is, I guess, with this is that you profile you profile the minority yep. and you will actually capture across yep. the board as well. She's so smart. I was just going to say, really. it's freaking genius. It really is. It's, it's not me. It's other people. No. But it's, it's, it's so great. It's such a great yeah, idea. Yeah, it will. You know, it's outside the box thinking. I love it. PETA, what do you have to add to that? I mean, yeah, I was, um, with with all of this, the SheMats program and everything, um, you know, it's been taken up in, in a lot of schools and um, the, there's a teacher that, we've, that I follow and that you know, Karen has... Um, um, put up on LinkedIn as well that he's doing really great things and um, he had an article written and all that kind of stuff about how he's using all the SheMax program and stuff in, in his in his program and everything and how one student's ended up with an internship with Esri Australia coming straight out of school mm. and moving it. You know, these sorts of things are just so awesome to hear that they're encouraging it within the schools. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I just to say that. It is. It's true. It's great mm. when you when you see those pathways being followed through as well. And so we have a we have a, a competition that we run every year called Map My School. And the idea <laughs> is that we get kids to map That's their awesome. school to assess the amount of green shade they have on their school campus. Yeah. And the most basic level of the of the competition is just to send in a map basically. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we had about a thousand maps this year that came in, but the coolest ones are where the kids go and they petition their local PNC or principal or whatever it is to say, hang on, we've only got 20% shade. We need more trees. And then they actually go out and do that. And yeah, that's, that's really cool. Oh, yeah. cool. That is awesome. Has it getting any traction mm -hmm. in the States? So the first year we ran it, which was four years ago, we actually had some people in the States um, enter. But then the past couple of years, we've, we've focused the marketing more just in Australia. And it's, it's, it is time for us to go back out to the mm -hmm. US to try and do that as well. So, and there's no reason not to. It's just a, a size and assessing and going through and picking winners <laughs> from that, those many yeah. entries, right? So um, it's a little bit scary to think about opening that in the States as well and, and, and where that could go if we do it. But I, I would look, like to go back there to do that as well. We could use that yeah. here in Arizona. Oh, my God, yeah. We sure <laughs> I think that I think the, the biggest thing with what Karen's doing there with SheMaps and everything is that um, is, get, is getting the funding getting people to put, put money in mm. funding and helping and, and getting it out there so we can get it out to more people. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And like we have some incredible organisations that really support us here in Australia as well mm. and that, that enables us to run these types of things. The Surveyors Trust in Queensland especially has been a partner of ours for the past few years and they've financially supported a lot of the work that we do and we just – couldn't do it without them and so yeah finding other partners so if you know anyone in arizona that wants to jump on board <laughs> as well that's always a good thing. 
Anywhere in the hey, like, we, we might see, really we help. might know somebody. Yeah. We might actually we might know somebody. <laughs> you never know. The um the, the surveyors trust that they, they they've put in funding for the surveyors academy as well. So you know they're they're giving back uh, to the community and for yeah. education and stuff. It's awesome. Very it's cool. Very cool. Uh, it's mm. it's huge. It really mm. enables us to to do what we're trying to do, and and hopefully we're providing value back in the sense that. We know mm. that surveyors have an average age of 55 and, and we need to make sure that we're, we are filling the pipeline and that we're filling the pipeline with a, mm-hmm. a more diverse industry than what we've ever had before. Yeah, that's a common theme on this show. And yeah, I think sure. the stuff that you're doing here is has a direct impact on, on that. Yeah, A lot more than just us talking about it, but you're actually doing something and getting kids and students mm-hmm. engaged and that's going to help in the, in the next years and a lot more than what we're doing. Hello, Geoholics. We'd like to take a second to thank our good friend Mark Taylor and the folks at Extreme Aerial Productions. Founded in 2014, Extreme Aerial Productions LLC is a professional aerial drone video and photography company based in Scottsdale, Arizona. They work in all 50 states, are FAA approved for commercial drone operations and backed by the best aviation insurance money can buy. EAP is a seven-person team passionate about capturing the perfect shot. EAP is committed to delivering the best results for their clients by being attentive to their needs and adopting a detail-oriented and professional approach. Their years of experience in the industry and the highest grade drone equipment available means our clients receive the most professional photography and videos. Their motto is, we tell stories with drones. Find out more at ExtremeAerialProductions.com. And one of the things I want to ask you, and I know this is something you're passionate about, I mean, what, uh, what could the... You know why? I don't want to say why is it important, but what what impact do you think it can make on the profession if there were more women and folks of color in leadership positions? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, there's there's research to say what differences it makes, but I guess just really breaking that down, it's it's just thinking about the fact that we all approach problems from different ways based on based on our background, our expertise and the experiences that we've had in our lives. And if you have people around a table that have all had very similar backgrounds and experiences, mm-hmm. yep. you might as well just have, it's just carbon copies of the same person. You might as well just have the one person. And we, we know we get better solutions when we have people, that we have more people approaching things from different angles. And so really looking into into the into the systems that support generally generally white men to be around a table and, and making those decisions and you have to ask yourself as are they actually representing a, a really broad variety of ideas mm. and thoughts and experiences mm-hmm. uh, that would be old white men i was just going to say add the word old yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah or middle aged in, in many cases that's, that's, that's well. generous but that's we'll you. take it <laughs> That 55? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, on. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the, the, the best way to solve problems, and like there's some really, really big, hairy problems that we have, particularly mm-hmm. when you think about climate change and, and where mm. we want to go in the future as, as a planet, is if, if we don't have representation from all different types of ideas and walks of life, how could we ever possibly think that we can come up with a solution? Great point. Great yeah, point. That's a really good point. And I, I love the uh, big hairy problems. 
and, that's, and that's not just the old men, right? Yeah. <laughs> or, the, or the sea cucumbers. Uh, sea cucumbers. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, Peter, I'm sure well, you, I mean, you have something to add to you know, that. Sure, I was, yeah. yeah, I was just going to say, like with that, I mean, I know that in the surveying industry and you speak to the old white males who have taken on females within their company and they say that it's refreshing and that the females see a different point of view and they attack problems differently and all that sort of stuff. And so it's really good to hear that people are, are willing to to bring the females into the into the industry and support them through through their profession because it, it does. It makes a difference. Um, well and not only and the, the the perspective part, but it's a it's a different skill set. For sure. Yes, like, exactly. And, and that's a huge yeah. part is, you know, you yeah. talk about all, all the research yeah. and yep. all that with attention to detail and everything like that is, it dials into mm. what we're looking for. No question. And, and I, I think that, um, I think also um, that in our industry now, you know, with Karen, with the remote sensing and we've got our scanning and, you know, the CAD and the 3D, the point clouds. And there's so many different areas that you can go into now. It's not just going into a bush and, you know, whacking down trees and, and all that kind of stuff. There's so many different areas that you can get into. Mm. So it's more yeah. appealing as well. No question. Yeah. Well, that it goes is. back. I think, I think it's so easy to, if you're thinking about employing people or working on committees or working with people in groups or whatever, it's so easy to pick people who are like yourself because you know mm. that it's easier to get consensus. Mm. It's easier to work together without conflict. Mm. But, and and I, and I get the attraction of that, but it it doesn't it doesn't provide the best result. And conflict and actually does yeah. get and it's not good progress. results. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, that goes into my question back to you mentioned earlier about you have the students that are actually doing a lot of the data on calculating or counting the. Sea cucumber, sea cucumber. Poop. That's a tough one for you. I know. I know. You, I you guys are it. having trouble with that, aren't um, you? <laughs> Uh, I guess my question is, and kind of to wrap back up to what you said was, is, is that a good, or do you see that energizing and getting students involved and excited about this, this space and this discipline? And, and it, do you see that as a real, as something, and I, we use that as a funny example, but I think it's, I think what you're doing is great and it gets kids involved, students involved and engaged. Yeah, definitely. What we see mostly with the students is that they love working on projects that they understand are real and mm. they have something something that they feel that they're contributing to no matter how small it is and they're not just doing it just for the sake of it being an assessment item or whatever. Oh, that's big, and yeah. Yeah, um, like the probably one of the most successful projects that we have we run every year with our introduction GIS class is that they have to pick up and map litter and then they use the data that they capture to uh, to do spatial analysis and learn ArcGIS and that sort of thing and consistently the feedback from the students is how much they love picking up the rubbish and they it's not that they love the picking up the rubbish but they love that that's they actually feel that there's a real reason and they're making an impact in cleaning up but also learning gis as a part of it as well and it's it's such a simple thing but it's it's real for them and it's not just a, a made-up project mm. Mm. community yeah. and environment yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, for yeah. sure yeah. yeah you know i'm thinking about it, i'm like you know we're human beings in across the board, whether we're in Phoenix, Arizona or Queensland or Sydney or Antarctica, whatever, we want to feel like we're making a difference. 
you know, and it, yeah. it, and it could be the smallest thing. If you feel like you're making an impact on things, you're going to continue down that path. And it's right. very rewarding. And, and very intangible. Yep. Like, in, like they, they can actually physically touch what they're doing and yep. see the results. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. It's just, it's part of one of the, uh, Michael talked about it last, one of the, one of the three. Oh yeah. 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 Yep. The, the, the three things that make, or the tribal, that the, the, oh yeah. Not tribal. What was it? And it's, uh, <laughs> the, the things that cause an impact or yeah. a lasting impact thing. Yeah. Yep. Making a difference ultimately. So what are you excited about, Karen? What's going on? I mean, whether, you know, it's remote sensing or any of the other efforts you have going on, what are you excited about? Oh, I'm excited about going into the field at the end of next month. I'm really <laughs> looking forward to that. So 10 days on a boat in remote areas of the Great Barrier Reef. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's what I love. That's my happy place. Take, take Peter with <laughs> so you. I don't have to do any- Sorry? So take Peter with you. Yeah, I'll come. <laughs> yeah, that's what my husband keeps saying as well. He's like, why do you always get to go? Right. <laughs> yeah, this is my time. Like, I don't have to do any housework or cooking or anything like that. It's, it's awesome. not just that I enjoy being on the reef. It's all the other things I don't have to do, which is fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, that's the biggest thing I'm excited about in that space at the moment. But then the other thing is just really, really working hard to grow Geonadia, to, to build it into being a place where – where we all have our drone data and we're all mm. being able to to work together to get really good insights about our local ecosystems and yeah. moving towards doing a capital raise for that early next year. So wow. that's a lot of stuff to learn in that process and I love learning, so that excites me as well. That's like a, what do they call it? Like a, a crowdsourcing effort, correct? Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's aspects of crowdsourcing to it, definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Gotcha. And what do you think about the technology? I mean, it's advancing at such a, a rapid rate. Um, what do you What do you think is next as far as that goes? Yeah, this is something I find interesting because when we first started SheMap six years ago, I thought we would be lucky to have a life of five years because I thought everybody would be past flying micro drones mm. in the classroom in five years. But there's people <laughs> that are only just just starting it, and there's people who haven't started yet, and so the speed that I thought in terms of technology adoption, the speed that I thought that was there is actually maybe not as fast as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And so then when I think of, you know, where where are we in another five years' time, I, I'm actually not certain that, the, that we're as far forward as what I might have previously suggested. So, yeah, it's, I think the... You know that there's some things that are, that jump ahead in terms of some types of analytics and some storage and things like that, but I think that probably ten years out is is where we where I think we'll start to see more movement in terms of more things like passenger drones, and you know how do how do we have that so that we are using we're putting sensors on those drones so that we're mapping the whole time anything is in the air and then we're streaming that data so that we're enabled we are enabling environmental insights constantly real time that's where that's where i want to see things go and that's where i think that's an exciting space so we actually go away from the individual drone operator and we're into much larger scale operations 
Yep. No question. I, I've seen some pictures and, you know, various social media posts from the, you know, the, I don't know, I think it was the global drone expo up in Vegas this past week and they're massive. You know, there's pictures of yes. like, you know, oh, yeah. you know those, people yeah. standing mm-hmm. there next to a drone and the diameter is like yeah. 12 feet or something. It's incredible what is happening in that, uh, in, 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 you know, in that arena. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, but actually operationalizing it is 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 a big jump from having the prototypes out there as well. And I think that's something that I didn't really understand five to ten years ago. I thought things were moving a lot faster than what they are. Interesting. And getting getting things into operation is yep. is more challenging. But you know, when you think back, you know, when did the Jetsons say that we would mm. be <laughs> flying our drones? Yeah. Didn't we pass the Jetsons, or is yes, that coming up did. soon? Oh, we did. No, yeah. we did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we passed the Jetsons, we passed Back to the Future stuff, and mm-hmm. we thought that we'd be there. <laughs> oh, yeah, quite. So. I mean, I know that they're talking about, you know, the, the, the flying the drones. If you're sitting in an office in Brisbane and you've got a drone sitting up in a box up in Townsville or something and you can just launch it from there, do the flight path, and it goes back into its little box and stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's getting well, there if, if they can do it with the, the with, the, with the amazon package then yeah it will, it, it's coming it's going to happen in our lifetime for sure yeah. there's yeah. no doubt about mm. it oh yeah well so coffee it's, it's not coffee in canberra mm. yeah sorry yeah coffee and burritos yeah, yeah they get they get delivered wait what <laughs> yeah yeah what is it yeah in Ca- <laughs> in canberra they're, they're doing well i think it's i don't i think it's only canberra at the moment they you can order coffee and and it's food and stuff and that gets delivered by drone can you order vegemite yeah. <laughs> oh i don't know no, I, th- I think it's just coffee and burritos coffee, mm. coffee yeah. and burritos i don't understand it yeah <laughs> that's awesome but it, it sounds it's like obviously a, a, a diet plan <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's oh, obviously man. proof of concept. Yes, we can That's call awesome. a drone. It can deliver something to a location. Mm-hmm. And the technology's mm-hmm. there. A lot of the time, it's the it's the regulations that that stops yeah. this stuff as well, and really catching mm-hmm. up and being able to future proof the legislation. Yeah, oh, man, so much going on. It's crazy. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's unbelievable. You can't keep up with it. It's really tough. It really is. But uh, what else? Got anything else? Mm. Peter, got any questions? No. no. Sorry. All right, Karen. I'm going to hit you with this one. This is a question we ask every single mm-hmm. one of our guests. Uh, I'm looking forward to your answer. Do you have a mantra that you live by? A mantra that I live by. Um, I don't. I don't know that I'd specifically call it a mantra, but I think that every day, every day, you need to move your body and and sustain it with with good food and i do think that um to be mentally and physically healthy is is my my largest priority in life mm. and that's, i guess that's why i really love exercise so much so yeah, yeah. get it get out of bed and Go do exercise. So that's exactly a mantra, but yeah. Yeah, no, that's no, sure. great. That's absolutely great. And one thing I want to expand on that what what do you do for the uh, like the, uh, the the mental well being in addition to the exercising? What 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 do you add to that? Um, being is the is the physical activity for me. Mm-hmm. So to to go on a bike ride for a couple of hours is my mental well being. <laughs> Yep. Even though often like I end up doing work when I'm on my bike and I think that my bike should be a tax deduction, 
but yeah, it's I. I, I'm, I, I, don't I possibly have an accountant nearby that can confirm <laughs> and help you with that. Don't not sure the the rules in Australia, but you know, uh, information is information. Just just throwing it out there. It should it should be. I asked for a walking machine to put under my desk at work because I Ooh. think better when I'm moving. That's yeah, good. I got, den- I got denied. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? So yeah. I, I have a colleague that has a um, like a treadmill that powers her keyboard and stuff as well. So that's oh, like so you have to up. move oh, to pressure. make it. To that's make a bit too work. much pressure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. like fifty thousand steps every day. So good. Oh gosh. Yeah, it's really wow. cool. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> actually, prob- probably a mantra that's actually closer that fits in with that is that every morning when I roll over in bed and I think probably like a lot of people is that even though I'm a morning person, I'm still, still not going to jump up and go, yes, I'm ready to go for a bike ride. I, the first thing that my, my mind starts going, no, come on, you can sleep for a bit longer. And so I just say to myself, no, don't think, just do. And I just yeah. go, don't Ooh. think, just do, just roll over, that's get cool. up and that's as long, a good as, long one. as I'm up and out, then I'm okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but as soon as I start thinking about it, then I'll back out. That is crazy. A good one. I love doing it, but yeah. So mm-hmm. don't think, just do. Very good. Very good. All right. We'll make note of that for sure. Anything else? I've asked everything I've got on my, uh, Man, my list I'm, of questions yeah, here. Yeah, I'm touched on a lot. All, all kinds of stuff going on in my head right now. It's all good stuff. <laughs> Dr. Joyce, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us. I know your time is uh, is limited here, um, but 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 thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's always good to have a chat. Yeah, it's been a blast. All right. Uh, Peter, anything else? No, I just love sitting in on these and listening to all the awesome things that are happening within our industry and especially from such a a low level in the education and bringing the kids and everything into it. It's just brilliant. So thanks, Karen, for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me, Peter. It's good to see you again. It's been great. It's been great. Go chase some uh, sea cucumbers, you two. (laughs) all right there we have it that's a wrap as they say in the business right sean in the biz that's that's what what they they say say. adding value and making friends that's what we do here at the geoholics thanks to our loyal friends of the program for believing in us give the geoholics patreon a look if you feel so inclined send us an email at info at the geoholics Dot com. Let us know how we're doing. We'd love to hear from you. Last but not least, pay it forward. I'd value make friends. Bon Jovi, you give love a bad name. Available everywhere. Until next time, everyone. Don't think, just do. Love it. Be safe and healthy. Mm-hmm. Thank you to our 2022 Friends of the Program, Advanced Geodetic Survey, AGSGPS.com, Airworks, airworks.io, Bad Elf, bad-elf.com, Cyanic Automation, getjobbook.com, Diamondback Land Surveying, diamondbacklandsurveying.com, Extreme Aerial Productions, extremearialproductions.com, Get Kids Into Survey, getkidsintosurvey.com. Mentoring Mondays, mentoringmondays.xyz. Monson Engineering, monsonengineering.com. Nettleman LC Prep, lcprep.com. North Star Surveying, northstarsurveying.com. ProStar Corporation, prostarcorp.com. Safety Apparel, safetyapparel.us. Topodot, 
new.certainty3d.com. And finally, Trimble Geospatial, geospatial.trimble.com.